there, I'm Leah Ben Miller, the worship leader of the local church, and you're listening to the local church podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold, inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina, and our mantra is our mission, love where you are. We gather for affirming, anchoring, and empowering worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Woods Charter School and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Our scripture this reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I am also a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to no one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. This is the word of God for all of God's creation. Thanks be to God. Since, uh, since about the middle of September, uh, as a church, we've been moving slowly, unhurriedly through the gospel according to Luke, Luke's narrative retelling of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as Leah mentioned, we seek to be an unapologetically inclusive, Jesus-centered community. And so part of the conceit of this moving slowly through the gospel of Luke is that if we are going to understand who this Jesus is, we have to spend time with him. We have to move slowly through this gospel with him at his pace. And so that's what we have been doing. That's our task. Uh, started in chapter three uh, in mid-September, wrapped up chapter six last Sunday. And this week, we're going to keep rolling through Luke's gospel, but with a bit of a twist. As we journey through Luke for the next four weeks, we're also going to bring back a sermon series from last year, last fall, that, uh, that a lot of you, I heard, loved. And so... Um, 
we're bringing it back, and it is called In Good Company. In Good Company, a series on saints. A series on saints. And our hope is that each week's scripture in Luke will complement the saint whose story that we've chosen to tell that week. In a, in a world in which loneliness is an epidemic and friendship is hard to find, in a world in which we can so often feel untethered and unanchored, this series, In Good Company, is all about finding our people, remembering that we are not alone, and discovering our place in a bigger story. And now, the local church, this thing, is a United Methodist faith community, and that means our functioning, our theology, our way of being is rooted in the United Methodist tradition. And in this flavor of Christianity, we think of saints a little bit differently than perhaps our Catholic siblings do. We don't canonize, we don't have a formal process for naming saints. Saints. Uh, instead, for us, a saint is anyone from whom we can learn a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus. I shared this last year when we introduced the series, but I think it's still a good image. Uh, one of my mentors and friends, David, once gave me what I think is the best definition of a saint that I've ever heard. Using the image of a stained glass window, he said that a saint is anyone whose life reflects the light of Christ. A saint is anyone whose life reflects the light of Christ to make the world a more beautiful and colorful, colorful and vibrant place for all of creation. A saint is anyone who has struggled with the same sorts of things that we wrestle with each and every day, whose ordinary life contains extraordinary courage, boldness, faithfulness, vision, who helps us see Jesus a little more clearly. And, and to be sure, there, uh, these can certainly include those who've been venerated in the Catholic tradition, like St. Francis, St. Teresa, St. Augustine, St. Oscar Romero. But for us, for us, it's also more expansive, and that's why I love it. Uh, and so over these next few weeks, we're going to share the stories of some of these saints. And we hope uh, in these weeks that you might find your story caught up in a larger story each week and discover anew that you are, that we are in good company together. And this week, we're kicking off the series with a modern saint who was a meticulous writer, an accomplished musician, an ordained minister, a revered teacher, someone whose story points to Jesus in so many ways and whose voice we need now perhaps more than ever. Any guesses? It's a beautiful day. It's <laughs> Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. But before we get too uh, much further, I want to be sure to introduce myself. I haven't done that yet. My name is Brent. I have the great joy of serving here as the pastor of the local church. And uh, we hope for three things each and every time you connect with the local church in any way. We want you to feel affirmed, anchored, and empowered. That is affirmed in your belovedness as the child of God that you are, anchored in the good news that we share together each week, and empowered then to take that good news uh, into the world. Uh, take your next faithful step to love where you are, following Jesus, whatever that might be. Uh, um, and, uh, and, and wherever you are in your spiritual journey, on no journey at all, you have a place here at the local church, and we are more whole with you. If you hear nothing else this morning, I hope you do, but if you hear nothing else this morning, uh, we hope that you hear that. And as uh, Leah mentioned, we'd love for you to fill out a card that's in your seat um, so that we can come to know you more fully. We'll follow up, give you the chance to uh, um, uh, uh, get to know you a little bit, and uh, we'll make a donation in your honor to the organization of your choice just by being here. Um, you're already making a difference in this community. Thanks be to God. As we begin, let's just be quiet for a moment.
Holy God, throughout history, you have given us saints like Fred McFeely Rogers. As we gather together on this beautiful day in our neighborhood to contemplate your word in today's gospel and your word made flesh in the life of this dear man. I'm reminded of the simple prayer that Mr. Rogers offered to you each morning as he arrived at work. Dear God, let some word that is heard be yours. Would you make it so anew this day, O God? In Jesus' name, amen. Fred Rogers was born on March 20th, 1928 in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh, born into wealth, but his childhood wasn't a cakewalk. In fact, in many ways, and as is true for so many of us, his childhood experiences formed him, shaped him in profound ways, helped him become the Mr. Rogers known and loved still today by so many. Young Fred spent much of his childhood sick, and illness left Fred isolated from other kids because his parents wanted to shelter him to keep him as healthy as possible. He was also the only child of his parents until they adopted his sister at 11 years old uh, when Fred was 11. And so Fred often resorted to playing alone at home in his room, making friends with puppets, creating stories, finding belonging with them in his neighborhood of make-believe. Fred wasn't the athletic sort either, and his family's wealth made him feel self-conscious. And all in all, he had a difficult time fitting in at school. And this came to a head one day when school let out early and his usual ride wasn't there to pick him up. And so he decided to walk the 10 blocks home. And as he walked, he soon realized that a group of boys from school had begun following him. They started to taunt him. Their insults grew louder and louder as they got closer and closer, and it soon turned into a chase as Fred sprinted faster. The boys continued to race after him, shouting, we're going to get you, Freddy. And Fred ran and ran until he came to the home of a family friend, and he knocked furiously at their door and found safety inside. These experiences shaped young Fred in profound ways. In the isolation of his childhood, he dug deep channeled his anger, his grief, his loneliness through creativity, particularly through puppetry and piano, which would become hallmarks of his television show years later. The bullying he experienced gave him his trademark empathy. He didn't want anyone else to experience how he had felt running away from the kids chasing him. He didn't want anybody else to experience how he had been picked on, mocked, insulted. And this empathy moved him to compassion, Here's how Fred would later describe that time. He said, what I actually did was mourn. I cried to myself whenever I was alone. I cried through my fingers as I made up songs on the piano. I sought out stories of other people who were poor in spirit, and I felt for them. Fred was developing the sort of compassion embodied in the scripture that Carly read for us this morning. Jesus has finished up his sermon on the plane, has entered Capernaum, and as he's going along, he gets word from some Jewish elders that a centurion, a Roman soldier, who also happens to be a Gentile or non-Jew, has a slave who is close to death. And these elders appeal to Jesus for his help on behalf of the centurion because of the generosity that he has shown them. Without hesitation, without hesitation, Jesus goes with them toward the centurion and the slave. 
And now in the Roman world, caring for a slave was seen as a good thing because it was a way of prolonging their life and thus their usefulness. But it also, even though it was seen as a good, it wasn't terribly common. And so the fact that this centurion went so far as to seek out Jesus for the slave's healing is no small thing. Some scholars believe that it's a sign of a special relationship that they shared. Also hinted by the fact that Luke tells us the slave is, quote, valued highly. You heard Carly read that. And so there's compassion there. But we also see it in the immediacy of Jesus' response. There are plenty of reasons why Jesus shouldn't go. A centurion is a soldier in the Roman Empire, one who, who is responsible for the oppression of the Jewish people. But not only that, his consorting with a Gentile, Jesus is hanging out with a Gentile, especially entering his home, which is what this would require. That would make Jesus ritually unclean. And yet he goes anyway without hesitation because this is who Jesus is, a God of compassion and flesh, who proclaimed good news for the poor, who, who lives jubilee, who preaches from a level place, who is God with us. This is the Jesus that Fred Rogers would come to know deep in his bones too. Fred grew up in the Presbyterian church and from an early age took an interest in scripture and theology. He heard about this, the love of this God from the very beginning and it took root, giving him the lens through which he saw everything and everyone. One of Fred's biographers said this about the faith of Mr. Rogers. The thing about Fred was that he was a really complicated man who had a very simple idea, which was that at the center of everything, at the bottom of the universe, at the top of the list, was the simple fact that God loved you. Fred wrote to me many times of the simple fact that God never gives up on you. And I think that Fred's idea of grace was the manifestation of that. This faith was the center of everything for him, his core, his foundation. As he went off to school at Dartmouth before transferring to a smaller college in Jacksonville, Florida to study music, he had plans to enter seminary uh, after college, but while he was at home from break, uh, home from school on break, he, he first encountered this new piece of technology that would change his life, the television. His life pivoted. When so much on TV at the time it was classless entertainment, Fred saw incredible potential for something better, something more edifying, more hopeful. So he ended, uh, instead of going to seminary, as was his plan, Fred ended up with an entry-level position at NBC in New York City where he could learn the medium from the inside. He said this, I got into television because I saw people throwing pies at each other's faces, and that to me was such a demeaning behavior. And if there's anything that bothers me, it's one person demeaning another. That really makes me mad. You can hear the beginnings of a Daniel Tiger song there, can't you? From NBC, he went to a startup public television station close to his home in Pittsburgh, WQED, where he first developed a program for children, child development. Teaching became a unique passion for Fred, rooted there again in his compassion, his empathy. He was a writer for the show and played behind the scenes as a puppeteer where he could introduce the world to some of his friends like Daniel Striped Tiger, King Friday the 13th, helping other kids channel their emotions and feelings through play just as he had. While working at WQED in Pittsburgh, uh, he began attending Pittsburgh Theological Seminary too. Every day, 
Fred would race over to the seminary on, uh, at, at, to the school uh, for class during his lunch break. And eight years later, it took him eight years, he finally got his degree and was ordained a Presbyterian minister, all while working on this show full-time. And while most people ordained were sent to serve a church, Fred received a special charge from the denomination to, quote, serve children and families through the mass media. Now, there's an idea. From there, from there, his next stop was Canada to develop a children's show on his own where he was the writer and the talent. And this is what ultimately led him back to WQED a few years later to don that classic red cardigan knit by his mother and those trademark blue sneakers for all 895 episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood between 1968 and 2001. Undergirding all of this, though not explicitly preached into the camera, was the firm foundation of his faith, cultivated by waking up every day at 5 a.m. for prayer, reflection, and Bible reading. And then at 7.30 each day, he'd go for a swim, and before diving in, he would shout a song of praise taught to him by his friend, Henri Nouwen. And as I mentioned earlier, each day when he arrived at the studio, he'd offer this short prayer. Dear God, Let some word that is heard be yours. So good. The aim of faith for Mr. Rogers wasn't ever about forcing someone to believe what he believed. It was instead about offering a spaciousness through his presence for each of his television neighbors, as he called them, to see themselves as special, as loved, to know their worth, to feel valued, honored, appreciated as the unique child of God that they are. As one biographer put it, at the center of Fred's theology was this. Every person is made in the image of God. And for that reason alone, he or she is to be valued, appreciated, he liked to say. He believed there is sacredness in all creation, including fallen man, because of one man, the true light, which enlightens everyone. Believe it or not, this is the same message of today's scripture. While the passage that Carly read demonstrates a lot of things, like the centurion's submission to the authority of Jesus and the ways that God can defy our expectations and work through unexpected people in unexpected ways. This passage also points to something else, the boundary-crossing inclusivity of Jesus in the name of love. If you, if you think back to Luke 4, the Jubilee passage that we read a few weeks ago uh, uh, in Jesus' hometown, Jesus uses a few stories from the Hebrew Bible to demonstrate the implications of this new Jubilee reality. One of those stories is the cleansing of Naaman, the Syrian, a Gentile soldier, intended to make clear that that this jubilee promise isn't just for the insiders, but the promise of God extends beyond the Jewish people to the Gentiles, inclusive of the Gentiles. This is Jesus putting this truth into practice, his words into action. And Jesus responding to this Gentile centurion, lifting him up as an example of faith. Jesus is breaking down barriers upending norms, crossing boundaries for the sake of love, for the sake of a new world. Reminds me of something Mr. Rogers once said. He said, evil would like nothing better than to have us feel awful about who we are. Evil would like nothing better than to have us feel awful about who we are. And that would be back in here in our minds. 
And we'd look through those eyes at our neighbor and see only what's awful then in our neighbor. In other words, evil wants nothing more than to let the awful we feel about ourselves inform then how we see another, driving a wedge deeper between us. But it's as if here in this passage, Jesus is instead saying to the centurion, to every Gentile, to you, to me, to us, even you, even you can belong. Even you are special in the family of God. In 1968, in the heat of the civil rights movement, the wake of riots following the assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Fred Rogers met Francois Clemens, an African-American singer and actor. Clemens had been singing at church one Sunday, and, uh, and Fred went up to him and immediately asked if Clemens might be a part of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Fred wanted Clemens to play a police officer on the show, and Francois reluctantly agreed, becoming the first recurring African-American character in a children's television show. A year later, 1969, just after the anniversary of Dr. King's assassination, in a scene that made history, Mr. Rogers invited Officer Clemens to rest his feet in a plastic wading pool shared by Mr. Rogers. Clemens removed his boots and his socks and their feet were together in the same pool, in the same water. They waited there a minute, enjoyed the cool. And then when Officer Clemens realized that he didn't have a towel to dry off his feet, Mr. Rogers took his own and dried his friend's feet, just like a sacrament. Right into the camera, Mr. Rogers casually, subversively, as if it was nothing, said this. Sometimes just a minute like this will really make a difference. He knew what he was doing. Francois Clemens later recounted another meaningful exchange with Mr. Rogers that perfectly captures everything that Mr. Rogers held dear. His whole life, how he saw the world, each person he encountered. By this time, Clemens had come out to Mr. Rogers as gay, something Clemens had wrestled with for a while. It was the last show that the two would do together. Clemens was off stage, but nearby. As Mr. Rogers was wrapping up the same way he did each Monday through Friday, hanging up his sweater. And his eyes met Clemens as he offered his trademark line, you make every day special. You make every day a special day just by being you. And I like you just the way you are. When the camera was off, Francois Clemens approached Fred with tears in his eyes and asked, Fred, were you talking to me? Mr. Rogers responded, yes, I have been talking to you for years, but you heard me today. If we had more time, I'd love to tell you about Fred's mother's advice in times of crisis and suffering. Look for the helpers, she'd say, an acknowledgement of hope even in the hardest times. I'd love to tell you about how his whole adult life, Mr. Rogers weighed exactly 143 pounds and how he was delighted that one and four and three were the precise number of letters needed for I and love and you. If we had more time, I'd love to tell you about the, the doubts and the insecurities that flared up, how even on his deathbed, he wondered if he had let God down, if his work had mattered, 
if he had been the best person that he could be. I'd love to tell you about how he answered every letter that was ever sent to him and how, by all accounts, the warm, gentle, kind Mr. Rogers on TV was the very same one you'd experience were you to meet him in real life and how he would treat you like you were the most important person in the world. If we had more time, I'd love to tell you about the time, the urban legend, that his car was stolen but then returned with a note that said if we had known whose car this was, we never would have stolen it. (laughs) But we don't have that time. Instead, I'll just end here. In a world that's polarized and partisan, as ours has become, in a world in which we are forced to choose sides and throw out hot takes, in a world overcome with wars on multiple fronts, loneliness as a crisis, second chances as rare, in a world in which shame so often tries to name us and tell us who we are, in which we're searching in all kinds of places for meaning and purpose and coming up short, I wonder what a difference it would make were we to surrender ourselves to the abiding truth, the abiding truth of God that Mr. Rogers spent each and every day proclaiming to his television neighbors, you are my friend. You are special. I like you just the way you are. And if each of us knew this truth and shared this truth, rooted in the idea that each person was made in God's image, regardless of faith or race or sexual orientation or whatever boundary might be there, then maybe this neighborhood of make-believe might be more of a reality. So my friends, if you have ever felt lonely, if you've ever been bullied or made to feel less than, if you've ever doubted your vocation or wondered if your life had meaning, if you've ever preferred a quieter but no less effective activism, if you've ever needed someone to tell you that you're safe and speak the truth of God's love to you, if you've ever needed the reminder that you are special just the way you are, then hear this good news. By God's grace, with Fred Rogers, You are in good company. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's an easy way to share the love. You can learn more about the local church at our website, growlocal.church, or just come see us one week. Thanks for listening and love where you are. It's a beautiful